0: Well, thank you, Pastor Matt. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, I'm excited about this message tonight. Um, This is the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I have to tell you, since I've been studying this over the last few months, it's really um, I am trying so hard to do some things that are just not me. And uh, as you will see, um, I will give you some practical, based on the book, practical suggestions on how to simplify your life and to make it pleasing unto the Lord. But last week, um, uh, Matt Donahue, he did a great job introducing the chapter Simplicity in the book. And one of the things that really caught my eye about his message was that he talked about pruning. And he has a lot of experience with that because he was a landscaper, or he still might be. I'm not sure. But um, he talked about pruning. And, you know, when we think about pruning and we look at a tree or a plant, you know, we're good with that. We're good with that. We see the need for that. How about when we get pruned? (laughs) How do you feel about that? Um, Anybody here not been pruned? (laughs) Yeah. So the point he made, though, with pruning is it's a good thing. It's kind of like God's judgment. People will always think of God's judgment as something that's, oh boy. But you know God's judgment is good because it purges. It purges, it cleanses the evil from our midst. And so when you get pruned, he talked about how you see a tree or a bush or whatever and you see all these little buds on the stem or the root. Mm-hmm. He says those are distractions that prevent the growth and productivity of the tree or the plant or the fruit that is to come. And that's the way it is with us today. How many of you have a lot of things attached to you that shouldn't be there? Think, (laughs) there's a hand going up over there. And so being pruned is a good thing. It really is, because everything about Jesus is simple, profound and simple. So my kind of my base scripture tonight is 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3. But I feared lest someone, as the serpent deceived E by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Lord, I just pray right now. Help us to hear your word through this. Help us, Holy Spirit, to open our ears to hear what you're saying. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Because we want to see you. We want to be obedient. We want our life to be a testimony to your greatness. And may your glorious name be the center in which all our lives turn. And I declare this through your blood and in your name, Jesus. So simplicity... Is a practice that's entirely based on Jesus's life. I, I want us, i don't want us to lose sight of the big picture here with all this, with with the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's all about Jesus. Simplicity is a practice that entire—it's da- based entirely on Jesus's life, as Richard Foster noted: a carefree, unconcerned for possessions. Is it what is what marks life in the kingdom? Isn't that a beautiful word? And Jesus put on display this carefree unconcern every step of his life. Material things will pass away, but oh, our relationship with Jesus. You know, I, I went ahead and did, it, did uh, dug a little deeper on the word simplicity as it relates to Jesus and the Word. One of my four favorite sources is Oswald Chambers, and it's a uh, great devotional, uh, my utmost for his highest. I remember when I became a pastor, I can't believe it's been 27 years now, after I was in the school business for 30 years, and um, the Assemblies of God really, really pushed on all its pastors, at least when I was getting ordained, that um, we, should have this, uh, this, we should have this devotional. It's that good. Um, So I just encourage you, my utmost for his You'll never regret it. So anyways, Chambers goes on to say this about simplicity. Number one, a simple statement of Jesus is always a puzzle to us because we will not be simple. Are you that way? You just let all these things clutter, all the little buds come up on your trunk. And you don't do anything about it. You don't get yourself pruned. You don't let the word prune you. You don't let your pastor, your elders, whatever, your own family, they can really hurt when they prune. So uh, a simple statement of Jesus is always a puzzle to us because we will not be simple. So how can we maintain the simplicity of Jesus so that we may understand him? Well, Matt used these two scriptures um, last week, and I want to continue. And you've heard them. You know them. But listen to the words again, Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin the second thing he says about simplicity jesus's agony was the basis for the simplicity of our salvation you know what that means jesus paid the price right we all know that anybody here saved raise your hand if you're saved <laughs> that's a good thing so jesus knew that what he our redemption, our salvation cost Jesus his life. the shedding of his pure, priceless blood. you ever think about his blood? I, I'm preparing for a hip surgery replacement, and um, uh, I got my blood work back, and it's three pages of all this stuff they found in my blood to tell me what you know, needs to happen and what I need to stay healthy. Jesus' blood is so pure, so pure. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so powerful. So what about us? What price did we pay? Did we pay anything? No, we didn't, did we? So our redemption, our salvation, and eternal life was the greatest gift ever given. All we have to do is accept the gift. And you know, some people have a hard time with that. They can't accept a gift. How sad is that? They have every excuse in the book. Oh, I'm not worthy. Well, of course you're not. But by the blood of Jesus, there go I. Oh, I'm not ready. You've heard all the excuses. You've heard all the excuses. Number three, our Lord must be repeatedly astounded at us, astounded at how an unsimple, how unsimple we are. Would that fit you? Are you unsimple or are you simple? You know, simple-minded in today's culture means you're stupid. Right? You got an intellect problem. But in Jesus' culture,
1: oh, that's
0: what he wants from us. So anybody here not unsimple? Is that going to confuse you? (laughs) Let's move on there. So his purpose, excuse me, um, it is our opinions that make us dense and slow to understand. In other words, you turn yourself into a slug. It is our opinions (laughs) that make us dense and slow to understand. I've had a few people call me names like that. (laughs) But when we are simple, listen to this now, but when we are simple, we are never dense. Why is that? Why is that? Because there's nothing to clog us. That's why the faith of a child is so beautiful. He doesn't have to worry about tradition. He doesn't have to think, well, I don't know. I don't go along with that. Oh, no, the child just says, yes, Jesus, I believe, uncluttered uncluttered. In my mind, being simple-minded, literally looking through the lens of Jesus is a gift. How many want to be simple-minded now? And if somebody tells you, you're simple-minded, I can't stand you, you say, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right, and the last point I want to make with, from Chambers is, uh, you know the story of the Mount of Transfiguration Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up to the mountain to pray. Well, naturally, you know, you ever notice how many times those guys fall asleep when Jesus, is, Jesus prays? Well, they fell asleep again. And so Peter wakes up and he sees the glory of God all over Jesus, white, Shekinah glory. And who's with him? Who's with him? Moses and Elijah. So Peter gets up and um, he says, Well, Jesus, that as Moses and Elijah were about ready to go, he says, Jesus, how about if I make three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Well, guess what? At that point, a cloud descended on them. And as they walked into the cloud, they were afraid. You never notice how people really get afraid sometimes going to the altar? Their sin is going to be exposed. So, this is what happens Um, His purpose in using the cloud is to simplify our beliefs. Until our relationship with Jesus is exactly like that of a child. So as as um, when he came, uh, was finished with the saying the thought that he would build three tabernacles, the cloud had disappeared. And who was there? Only Jesus was left. So... Um, the cloud Jesus used the cloud He brings our way. He wants us to unlearn something. How many of you, when a cloud of depression or a cloud of, of anxiety or fear, whatever overtakes you, I re, I've prayed many times, Lord, especially when I was a pastor. I, I remember the one church I went to. I wanted out, and I would pray going to, Sunday morning. I said, Lord, I don't want to be the pastor of this church. And um, I said, but, Lord, if you want me to, I will stay as long as you want me to. Just help me to know what I'm supposed to learn from all this. But here's the thing. Jesus, instead of wanting us to learn something, he wants us to unlearn something. Do you understand the difference there? We're so in bondage at times with our thoughts and with our traditions, we need to unlearn some of that stuff, prune, prune that away from us. So anyways, Luke nine thirty four. while he was saying this, a cloud came over, came and overshadowed him and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son hear him and when the voice had ceased Jesus was found alone wow but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen so is there anyone but Jesus in your cloud what kind of do you have a cloud over here tonight and it's not a good cloud then we'll pray for you But is Jesus, is he the only one in your crowd or you got a family member you just wish wasn't in your family? So anyways, (laughs) let's move on. Now, here's the good part. I I get to um, uh, give you some ideas based on John Mark Comer's book here, How to Live a More Simple Life. Are you ready for this now? He was 12 principles, not rules, to guide us. Number one, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of the item? Well, you know, I don't sometimes ask myself that. My wife did, but I don't. I see something, unless it's really crazy, I buy it. But... The question is, then can I afford it? How much time will it cost me to own this? How often will I use it? Will it add value to my life and help me enjoy God and his world even more? I immediately thought about my truck. And (laughs) it does help me enjoy God because all I listened to was hymns and Christian music. I never listen to secular music anymore. I know that you probably find that hard to believe. Anyways, um, finally, he says, measure hurry. What will this do to the pace of my life? Speed it up or slow it down? Unfortunately for me, it sped my life up. But let's go on number two. Before you buy, ask yourself, by buying this, am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? I have to admit, I've never asked that question. Have any of you ever asked that question? Well, he's suggesting, what will that do? That will put the brakes on buying something that uh, maybe we shouldn't. He tells us that he was shocked and deeply disturbed when he learned about the underbelly of globalization. He had no clue that a huge chunk of the items in his home and life were unjustly, if not f- with, with full-on human trafficking and child labor. And he goes on to tell us that um, uh, one in six people in the world work in the garment en- industry, 1.5 billion people that is, 80% are women. And guess what, fewer than 2% of those women make a living wage. In other words, they, they can't live on it think about that and you see vietnam you see bangladesh you see pakistan all these brands you know everything's gone all overseas and i really believe it's cuz of unions and everything and um, anyways that makes you think a little bit different about it but what are we going to do we can't find any clothes made in america anymore it's very hard. Number three, this is one for me that is just really challenging, never impulse buy. Uh, Lynn and I were headed to Florida in the mid 80s with the kids and uh, all these neat Roman wheel uh, conversion vans would go by us. You know, they're the kind that are luxurious inside, captain's chairs, everything. I just got tired of that, and I looked at her and I said, next time we go to Florida, we're gonna have one of those. Boy, that was a big mistake. Anyways, so we ended up buying a four-year-old Dodge van, Roman wheels. It was so neat inside. It was a piece of junk. And we we found it at a Honda dealership. And she says, you know, I should have listened to my wife more. I mean, guys, listen to your wives. There's something about them. They just have that sixth sense. Anyways, um... I didn't listen to her. And the worst thing is you don't buy a van at a Honda place. You know. So anyways, um, I bought the, <laughs> bought the van. And um, you know what I got out of it? $3,000 worth, rep- worth of repairs over the next four years before I sold it. You know, and, and the biggest gift was the guy who kept taking it to fixed it. Bless his heart, he paid for my soccer uniforms for my girls' team I was coaching. That was the extent of it. So, anyways, impulse buying. God isn't against stuff. He made the world for us to enjoy, and it's beautiful. Here's the kicker. If a purchase doesn't have his blessing on it, do you really want it in your life? I tell you right now, that blessing was not on that van. No. So, number four, when you do buy, opt for fewer better things. Buy it once is a great motto to live by. If you can't afford the high-end version, consider used. I've done that more than uh, right now over these last years than I ever have. You know what? A lot of the stuff that's used is so good. If You take your time and shop around. But as lovers of Jesus, we must ask ourselves this question. How can I live with less? All right, number five. When you can share. A, as one of the early church fathers said, Father said, we hold everything in common except our wives. It's a good word, isn't it? Yep. So number six, get into the habit of giving things away. I have to tell you, when we moved down here five years ago, I, uh, I will never move again. As my oldest son said, Dad, this is your toe tag place. You know what that is. You know, your corpse, they put a tag on your toe. Okay. If you knew tim he should have been a stand-up comic but anyways get into the habit of giving things away i gave so much away i didn't care i want to bless people that's in my dna and believe it or not it's in your dna too because that's who jesus is you talk about simplicity that's simplicity give and if i don't receive i don't care give so anyways, number seven, live by a budget. How many have a budget? How many don't have a budget? Don't, don't admit it. All right, here's a good word, though. You need a budget. A budget is to your money what a schedule is to your time. It's a way to make sure that your treasure is going to the right place and not getting squandered. A budget is a necessity, and especially in this day and age. Number eight, learn to enjoy things without owning them. That's a, that's a big challenge for me because I always felt I needed to own everything. You know, my brother, though, he, uh, he would uh, lease the car of his choice two or three years, and, man, he'd switch out and get something else. I visited one time, and he had a Corvette, took me up on the interstate, and we had a great time. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, a few years down the road, he didn't have that anymore. He had something else. So I think that's a good attitude to have. And then number nine, cultivate a deep appreciation for creation. A deep appreciation for creation. You know how you can do that? Lynn and I were able to crisscross this country three times. We drove through Rocky Mountain National Park 13,000 feet up. We drove to Yellowstone. We drove to Washington State. We drove to Oregon. We drove to the Redwood Forest, the, the, the Grand Canyon, the Golden Gate Bridge. We did that several times. I'm telling you what, when you see the natural beauty of this country, it just deal, It helps you to appreciate creation. It is so wonderful. All right, number 10, cultivate a deep appreciation for the simple pleasures. Here's what I I listed this for myself here. Walking hand in hand with my best friend, my wife, my lover, standing on the beach of a great ocean, holding and loving my grandchildren, a good cup of hot chocolate at Bush Gardens on a cold winter's night before Christmas. This posture of living says less about our income and more about our relationship to time and the kind of attention we give to God and the goodness of his world. Uh, Solomon put it this way, Ecclesiastes, I didn't put it in there, Uh, 224, he says, so I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink. That sound good? And, um, And to find satisfaction in work. Then he goes on to say, then I realize that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Isn't that beautiful? Number 11, recognizing, recognize advertising for what it is. No bullets for that. I think we all understand what advertising is. Number 12, lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. We often hear less but better. But what if less is better? I'm telling you, it, it, it is. I want to just share the last few minutes here um, how how i get how I got started on simplifying my life, and i didn't even realize at the time that I did um, for me, it was decluttering my home after Lynn passed away two years ago. I mean, I went nuts, I cleaned out every closet, I took out all the clothes um, i uh, Cleaned out all the drawers took me a year to get my garage in order. You should see it now. It is so neat and across the back wall of my garage it 's my hall of family pictures. I have pictures across the, the back of my garage. You should come over and see it you 're welcome anytime. So anyways, I did all that. But the good thing that happened that i didn 't really realize at the time that that decluttering my home. It led to the decluttering of my mind and my life, helping me to move on with my life. It's simplified things. So in the words of Dallas Willard, yes, it will cost you to follow Jesus and live his way of simplicity, but it will cost you far more not to. It will cost you money and time and a life of justice and the gift of a clean conscience and time for prayer and unrushed soul and above all the life that is truly life. How many of you are rushed in a hurry? Well, I know you are. It don't have to be that way. And I close with this. Go ahead and put that picture of my family up there, Dave. Um I put this up there. Those are my parents, by the way. This is August of 1968 in the middle, and over there, and that's that's in uh, that's the summer. Um, and on June 8th, 1968, we got married. And she uh, she graduated a year before me. Not because she was smarter; she just went through it three years. You know, we went man. We gotta keep some dignity and pride here. But anyways, after she graduated in '67. She uh, began teaching fourth grade in Southwestern District in Columbus, Ohio. 37 fourth graders at $5,500 a year. That's a simple lifestyle. So when we got married, she came up. I was still finishing my studies the three months that summer before graduating in August. And um, uh, we had the best summer. I yearn for that again. It was so simple. We were free. It was just the two of us. It was so neat. One of the things we love to do is go to the Toledo Zoo and listen to the Toledo Concert Band play. And then you you would hear the lions in the background roaring. (laughs) We had so much fun. And then, so that's what these pictures are. To the left, that that's, takes place in the summer, those three months, f- from June until the end of August when we, um, when we both headed to Columbus and I got a teaching job at the sixth grade um, in the same district that she was at, but a different school. I love that time teaching those sixth graders. I was thinking the other day, well, I'm 70, going to be 78. Those kids are in their mid-60s. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, that's graduation, August of 68. That's We were married. And um, those are my parents. God rest their soul. They were wonderful parents. And then again, that's just graduation. So I say all this because simplicity is the best way to go. The life that is truly a life. I would ask you to evaluate yourself after tonight. Go home. Take a look at your life. Take a look at your lifestyle. What are things that you can, quote, prune out of your life? You might be surprised. The list would be very, very long. And to do some of it will take great courage to prune. It will take great courage to to get rid of some of the stuff. So, anyways, um, we loved our simple life at this time so much. From the moment we met, we knew our marriage was a match made in heaven. And those days were truly simple and wonderful. Well, John Mark Homer says this. Simplicity is living in such a way that your unfulfilled desires no longer curb your happiness. How about you? You have unfulfilled desires? But are, are, are they the cloud that surrounds you and keeps you from, from enjoying the life that Jesus wants you to enjoy? When it's all said and done, the spirit of simplicity, clarity, and unity is born through the Holy Spirit. Not through our decisions. We must be in touch with the Holy Spirit. Our Father God counters our self-willed decisions with an appeal for simplicity and unity. He's begging us to be simple-minded. And when I see you on Sunday, I'm going to say, hey, hey, Sam, you're simple-minded. <laughs> so anyways, and our phone rings, you know. <laughs> so right now, Hold on to this. We have everything we need, don't we, to live a happy, contented life. We have access to our Abba Father, our Daddy God, to his loving attention. Amen? Amen. Let's pray here. Father God, I just thank you so much for your love. Lord, I pray you had a good time listening to this message, too. It was wonderful delivering it to such wonderful people. And Lord, there's not one of us here that doesn't need to declutter our lives and make our lives a simple, simple joy for you so that you can be a part of our life in an unhindered way, fully, fully connected to you. Show us the way in the days ahead, the things that we need to just prune out of our life. The ruthless elimination of hurry. I've been working on that, Lord. I just got to get here and there and everywhere. And I ask myself, what are you doing? Maybe some of you need to ask the same question. So, Lord, be blessed. Be blessed and feel so loved and cared for by each of us tonight. In your precious name, we declare this. And everybody said, Amen.